You're listening to Exploration Local, a podcast designed to explore and celebrate the people and places that make the Blue Ridge Mountains special and unique. My name is Mike Andrus, the host of Exploration Local. I'll be sitting down with people and business owners that have a deep love for the outdoors and who help to fuel the spirit of adventure in these mountains. We encourage you to wander far, but explore local. Let's go. Welcome to another episode of the Exploration Local Podcast. We're so glad that you're here today. We are now being listened to in 10 different countries, the United States, India, France, Germany, United Kingdom, Canada, Netherlands, Australia, Japan, and Luxembourg. We're being listened to and downloaded in 117 different cities across the United States, and we are fast approaching the 1,000 download mark in such a short period of time. Completely humbled. Cannot thank you enough. So glad that you're here. So glad that you're part of the conversation and being a part of this community. If this is your first time listening in on an episode, we welcome you and we hope that you'll be back and that you will become a part of this community of listeners as well. If you are a regular listener, you know that this is the point in the podcast where I am typically introducing our guests for the day. This podcast is interview driven and I'm running solo this time. I don't have anybody in the studio nor interviewing remotely, and I'd like to explain why. So one of the reasons that I wanted to pause and do a solo episode versus the normal interview-style format that you're accustomed to listening here on our podcast is because of some reoccurring trends or themes, I guess you could call it. Maybe that's a better way to say it. Um, if If you listen to the podcast, you know that at some point, either organically or through some leading questions towards the end of the the podcast, we always try to ask our guest, how has the outdoors made a positive impact in your life? Or sometimes we talk about your philosophy of the outdoors and why it's so important to get into the outdoors. And that's one of my favorite parts of, of all the episodes because it's so personal and it's so unique. But the common thread is that the outdoors continues to make a a, a really positive impact, a life-changing impact in our, our guest life. And it's something that they love to share with other people. It's one of the things they love to share about the outdoors and its impact in other people's lives. And I've been seeing a, um, a, a trend, and especially when you start talking about uh, COVID, um, the social unrest, a lot of the things that, that a lot of people are, 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 are struggling with today, be it work or some, some personal issues with everything that's going on in the world, we know that people need a release. And the outdoors is such a fantastic place for that release to happen. But there's a couple of things that sort of, I guess they're all maybe coming together at, at one point. One is my, my own story uh, and hearing my own story through uh, the voices of the people that we interview, um, both that have been on and the people that are coming on to the podcast. Uh, the other thing is some books that I'm reading, and I'm going to talk uh, a little bit about those here in a little bit. But one of the things that's um, really kind of struck me, and I, and it's really kind of one of the reasons I wanted to pause and stop and go here uh, today in the podcast, and I, and I hope you'll connect with it, is a, a question that I put out on a Facebook group that I'm a part of. And the question was simple. It simply was, does hiking, nature, and visiting waterfalls positively affect your personal health uh, and well-being, and and if so, would you care to share more about that? And I was blown away. Um, I'm not going to share any of the the specifics of them, but 
it generally speaking, by and large, it was overwhelming how much people look to the outdoors as an uh, antidote for stress, for anxiety, PTSD. Um, there was a hun- uh, over a thousand people that, that engaged in this Facebook post, almost 500 comments and just a ton of shares in there as well. And it really hit me that man, we're, we're, we're kind of onto something when we start talking about the positive effects of, of the outdoors. Now, if you are a regular outdoor enthusiast and you're always out there, I'm preaching to the choir with you and I get it. And I know um, you get it. But for some others, maybe this can be something that can be somewhat of an impact to you and and for you. Again, every episode that we cover, we start talking about the positive effects of of the outdoors. But one of the things that really kind of hit me in that Facebook post were the number of people that were talking about depression and and anxiety. And a number of our guests have actually mentioned depression and, and anxiety. And I don't mean this as a doom and gloom, but I really think it's an important topic for us. And even more importantly, the research that is going on in the outdoors today, the effect of the outdoors on our, on our health and well-being is, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's due. It's finally time, and, it, and it's due. And I know that some research started you know, way back in the 60s and 70s, and it was sort of sidelined for a number of reasons. But in the last couple of decades, there's been a really huge resurgence of that. And I'm digging into that a little bit more. But I wanted to kind of share a little bit of my story with you be a little bit vulnerable here with you. Maybe you'll connect. I I don't know. But based on uh, this last Facebook post, there's a lot of people. And so it gives me a little bit of encourage. In fact, this is the first time publicly that I've ever really kind of came out with this, but it's my own story with depression. But before we get into the uh, the depression piece where I was actually clinically diagnosed, what I want to do is kind of make a connection between my past and also all of the comments that I was getting back on that Facebook uh, post uh, in regards to people seeking um, places in the outdoors, be it a waterfall, uh, a hiking trail, uh, the mountains. Of course, this was was specific to the mountains, and so it's going to include those natural resources. But for me, when I kick it all the way back to growing up and my earliest recollections of being able to have the freedom to get in a car and go and and, and drive and so forth, um, for me, one of the places that I used to always escape to was the beach. So it was the water. Uh, we lived in the southeastern uh, corner of Virginia, sort of near Virginia Beach. And we had easy access to the Outer Banks, to Virginia Beach, to the Chesapeake Bay, to the James River, to all those those places. And so for me, it was kind of getting out to that water. And that water for me was a place that just was, uh, a, it was a place of, of renewal. There are many times that I remember paddling out uh, into the surf and it not being very big that day, but just the fact that I was there, right? So I was just sitting on the board. Um, I could just see the the waves curling, you know, crashing, catching a few waves here and there. But, you know, a lot of times, man, just sitting. And that was a place for me that was just relaxing. Uh, and also snow skiing. Snow skiing was another activity that, that we did, water skiing. But But the point is that I felt like the activities were fantastic and they were. But for me, it was the environment and it was more of being in that place. And water has always kind of done that for me. It's always kind of been my jam. So that was one of the things that, that, that I always enjoyed as I got older and I started to have jobs and responsibilities now and at a graduate school and so forth and, you know, mortgages and car payments and savings and all of those things that come with adulthood. One of the things that I, I found is that it was very important for me 
to pull away. And again, I didn't, I, I'm not making the connection now between research and positiveness. I just knew anecdotally that getting into the outdoors was very, very good for me and, and my sanity and probably for the sanity of, of, of my wife as well. But every single place that I have lived, there's always been that one spot that was sort of my, my refuge. It was my place to get alone, to clear my head, to pray, write, listen. You know, many times, again, it was near the water or it was, it was, it was in the woods. And so I remember, you know, many times, um, reaching a point of, of, of saying, I, I need to go. And the beauty of those moments is that my wife knew that I needed to go as well and find a place where I can sort of renew, recover, rejuvenate. And so I, I always appreciated that about her. Fast forward, uh, and this is about five or six years ago now, at this point, I had reached a um, very low point in my life, we'll call it. Uh, this was the in the winter. Um, the moods, the feelings, everything felt very familiar to me, but it had a really tight grip on me. And my wife could tell, uh, my kids could tell, um, they all knew that something was just different with, with dad. And so my wife, unknowing to me, made an appointment to go see uh, the doctor. And we went, spent some time, we talked, did some tests, um, found out that I had clinical depression. And that was the first time that I had ever really felt relief, to be honest with you, because it was somebody telling me what I felt like I knew, but maybe I was um, running from it or didn't want to admit it. My wife knew it. And then after that, we proceeded to try some different medications. And I'm not here to make a value statement about medications for or against. Uh, I can just tell you that for me, uh, there was a low dose of a particular medicine that just kind of helped to help me be get even keeled, especially getting through uh, the seasonal depression. That was a time for me, especially. And I, and, and at that point, when I could look back in my life, I really kind of knew that there was, there was definitely a pattern that was there. It was seasonal. I, I struggled through the the colder months, the winter months, the dark months. Um, once we were able to get outside. Uh, and enjoy the spring and or, or any time really being outside. That was really, really helpful for me. But one of the things that we found through my blood test is that my vitamin D levels were almost non-existent. And so I got onto a high-dose regimen of vitamin D against some other um, low-dose medications that were just enough to kind of help me start to kind of feel like me until we could get to the beginning of the uh, the, the spring season. As I mentioned before, though, for me, I really know and appreciate and understand that it um, it is is still being outside, is being in the outdoors. That's that's my go to. That's my haven, my refuge. Those are the places I go. But but I will tell you that during that time, it was the first time that I had um, ever really admitted, I guess, that there was some depression and some anxiety. It was always shameful to kind of think about or talk about. But up until that point, I just sort of kept it under wraps, managed it as best I could. And I can't begin to tell you the freedom once I realized that the depression and the anxiety was was there and it was real and it had a, a grip on me that there was a sense of freedom. It was almost re- it wasn't relief from those uh, symptoms, but it was relief from knowing that I didn't have to hide this or 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 live in shame anymore for for having it. I could just be honest about it, and that's what I did. But the story doesn't obviously stop there. I proceeded to 
my wife and I both, we, we made a commitment to our, our health. And so we began to uh, exercise. Uh, we began to watch uh, what we ate. We were very intent on clean eating, exercise, and all the things that I knew would help me from that perspective and that the, the science has always been there from an exercise perspective. And so ended up losing 47, 47 pounds, I think it was totally that I, that I lost and started to feel really, really good just physically and uh, mentally as well. And then we got into the warmer months and we could start getting outside again. And that was all very, uh, very helpful. But even during this time, there were still those moments where on the regular, I needed to pull away, go sit by the creek. Um, I had my favorite place at the time. It was North Mills River Recreation Area. It is in Mills River. It's beautiful. Um, just a nice flowing creek, not really uh, heavily populated. And that was my go-to. So in this book by Florence Williams, The Nature Fix, it's the first time I ever heard the term Shinrin-yoku, and it's it's been around for a while. And so if you are into this sort of thing and you've been following this, you're a lot more up to speed and up to date than I am. This is not going to be anything new for you, but um, I, I really, it's, it's fascinating. So Shinrin-yoku, it is a term that developed in the 1980s as a physiological and psychological exercise. Um, it's forest bathing or taking in the forest atmosphere. And there are a couple of people that I have run into that are credited with sort of founding this and researching this. One is Ching Li. He's a Japanese medical doctor and researcher. And then the other one is a gentleman who has also done a tremendous amount of research in this. His name is Yoshifumi Miyazaki. And these two gentlemen are really probably the the, the founding fathers, if you will, of quantifying and qualifying the effects of the outdoors. I love this quote in Florence Williams' book. This is what she writes. The renewed interest of late represents a convergence of ideas and events, the relentless march of obesity, depression, and anxiety, even in affluent communities and despite more medication, the growing recognition of the role of the environment on genes and the growing academic and cultural unease with our widening breach from the outdoors. She goes on to say that scientists are quantifying nature's effects not only on mood and well-being, but also on our ability to think, to remember things, to plan, to create, to daydream, and to focus, as well as on our social skills. And so I think that's a really kind of a, a great summary to what we're going to be talking about and, and what she is sort of writing about in this book. There was also a great article in the Greater Good magazine that speaks of the nature deficit disorder, and they call it a modern affliction. So with more people living in cities, working in high-rise office buildings, becoming addicted to their innumerable electronic devices, uh, they say that many of us are headed into indeed experiencing a nature deficit. So this is true for adults as well as as children. A lot of times we just think it's kids that are inundated with the technology and it's not them or just them. It's it, it's adults as well. I don't mean to oversimplify forest bathing, but the best analogy I can think of is a weekend in the woods where you have no distractions and you're able to be fully present in the moment either by yourself or with loved ones, but there's a research component. 
and that is where you would undergo a series of tests to determine the positive effects of that experience. Now, the scientific piece is probably best understood in the words of Florence Williams herself in her book where she writes, Engaging our physiological responses to these environments, Miyazaki and Lee look at changes in blood pressure, pulse rate, variable heart rate, salivary cortisol, and new this year, hemoglobin in the brain's prefrontal cortex. When aggregated, these metrics paint a picture of our bifurcated nervous system. When we are relaxed and at ease in our environment, our parasympathetic system, sometimes called the rest and digest branch, kicks in. This is why food tastes better in the outdoors, explains Miyazaki. But the demands and constant stimuli of modern life tend to trigger our sympathetic nervous system, which governs our fight-or-flight behavior, are more prone to heart disease, metabolic disease, dementia, and depression. Uh, More recent research shows that the steady stress of urban living changes the brain in ways that can increase our odds of schizophrenia, anxiety, and mood orders, uh, excuse me, disorders. And to carry that same thought pattern about the effect and the stress of urban living um, environments, there was a young psychologist that Williams writes about in this book. His name is Roger Ulrich. He lived in Michigan, and he was always fascinated that drivers were choosing to go out of their way to take a tree-lined roadway home or to the mall or shopping or whatever, as opposed to the mainline streets that would get them a little bit faster. So uh, being inquisitive, in 1986, uh, he used an EEG unit. And he had this study where he had two different groups. Uh, He connected the EEG units to the heads of uh, his volunteer subjects, and they viewed slides of nature scenes or utilitarian urban buildings. So those were the two groups. Um, The subjects that were assigned to nature showed, through his research, higher alpha wave activity. So a wavelength that's associated with relaxation, meditation, and increased serotonin. And another experiment, he actually stressed out 120 students by showing them movies of bloody accidents in a woodworking shop. And he knew that they were distressed because he measured their sympathetic nervous activity and the sweat glands on their skin, their heart rates, and their blood pressure. Um, And afterwards, some of those students were assigned to watch a 10-minute video of nature scenes and some to watch videos of more urban scenes from a pedestrian mall to cars on a road you name it. And his results were pretty dramatic. Within like five minutes, the brains on nature returned to baseline and the brains on built environment recovered only part way, as he could tell by the nervous system measures. Um, And that was even 10 minutes later. And so it begins to ask the question, how long do the feel good effects nature last? And do they get, just get wiped out by the first traffic jam or cell phone tone that comes on? And, of course, that may depend person to person how quickly they return to uh, baseline or how long the effects uh, last. And just like it is for us, if we go out into the woods and we go into nature or we have an experience, um, each of us has a different rate of when we get back to feeling calm and relaxed. And so that's probably no different than what they saw in that research. But... Uh, to really kind of further go along with that of how long it takes before somebody gets back to baseline. Um, I mentioned Ching Lee earlier. Ching Lee has worked with Miyazaki and Ching Lee had, he, he was also interested in nature's effect on the mood and stress primarily as it was manifested in the, in the uh, human immune system. And 
So he studies these cells called NK cells, natural killer immune cells. They protect us from disease agents and can, like cortisol and hemoglobin, um, they can be reliably measured in a laboratory. So it's a type of a white blood cell. They're handy to have around since they send self-destruct messages to tumors and virus-infected cells and help our bodies to battle those things. So it's been known for a long time that factors like stress and aging and pesticides can reduce your NK count, at least temporarily. So Lee wondered if nature reduces stress, could it also increase your NK cells and thereby help you fight infections and cancer? And what he found was that when he brought a group of middle-aged Tokyo businessmen into the woods, in, and this was in uh, 2008, for forest bathing, they did this for three days. They spent a couple of hours each morning hiking, uh, and by the end, blood tests showed that their natural killer cells had increased by 40%, and that boost lasted for seven days and in some instances longer. So a month later, their NK count was still 15% higher than when they started. Um, in contrast, during urban walking trips of the same duration, their NK levels just didn't change. So after years of careful study, Lee has found that spending time in a forest can reduce stress, anxiety, depression, and anger. Uh, it can strengthen the immune system. It can improve cardiovascular and metabolic health, and it can boost overall well-being. And so there you have it. You have some research that backs up why we can feel like when we go into the woods that we get refreshed. It's because we are, and there are physiological things that are going on inside of us that we may not even in, you know, be, be aware of. And I've only scratched the surface of talking about forest bathing and sort of diving into this, but I am absolutely fascinated by this. And again, I just wanted to share some of these things with you. I hope you, and, and I'm going to put some materials in the show notes as we always do. I'll have some links to some books. I'll have some links to some of the research, but this particular piece on, on forest bathing, I think is absolutely remarkable. I don't want to ruin the rest of the book for you, but I'm really going to encourage you, if, if any of this has sounded interesting to you at all, uh, to pick up the book. Uh, again, it's called The Nature Fix, Why Nature Makes Us Happier and Healthier. And I want to close here with something that the author writes in her epilogue, and I, I really think it's brilliant. She gives the credit to somebody by the name of Tim Beatley. He runs the Biophilic Cities Project at the University of Virginia. And they promote, he promotes a concept that's called the nature pyramid. And I want to read this because I don't want to misspeak or, or leave anything out. I think it's really profound. So it's inspired by the ubiquitous food pyramid. Beatley places at the base the daily interactions with nearby nature that helps us de-stress and find focus and lighten our mental fatigue. These are the birds and trees and mountains in our neighborhoods, our pets and our houseplants, public and private architecture that allow for daylight, fresh air and patches of blue sky and naturalistic landscaping. These are the daily vegetables and Singapore, laser lights and all has it nailed. We should all be so lucky. Moving up the pyramid are weekly outings to parks and waterways, places where the sounds and hassles of the city recede Places that we should aim to imbib at least an hour or so a week in the Finnish fashion. These might include wilder, bigger city parks if we're lucky, or regional parks that we can travel to fairly easily. Moving up higher still are the places that take more effort to get to, the monthly excursions to forest or other restful, escapist, natural areas along the lines of what Japan's Ching Li recommends, a weekend per month or 
maybe longer, for our immune systems. At the very pinnacle are the rare but essential doses of wilderness, which Beatley and scientists like Utah's David Strayer think we need yearly or bi-yearly in intense multi-day burst. As we've seen, these trips can rearrange our very core, categorizing our hopes and dreams, filling us with awe and human connection, and offering a reassurance of our place in the universe. There may be particular times when wilderness experience can be most helpful to us, such as enduring the identity-forming roller coaster of adolescence or following grief or trauma. The more we recognize these innate human needs, the more we stand to gain. I'd love to see more wilderness therapy, more kids in a summer camp and on nature field trips and on scouting expeditions and on quests of one kind or another, and more opportunities for city populations in general to touch the wild. We all need a regular check-in for personal introspection, goal setting, and spiritual reflection. Best to turn the phone off. Distilling what I've learned, I came up with a kind of ultra-simple coda. Go outside often, sometimes in wild places, bring friends or not, breathe. Nature in the outdoors has been a personal respite for me for many years, and while I know that to be true, the rhythm, pace, and busyness of this world sometimes makes me lose focus of that. Even though I know the value of slowing down and pulling away, and have experienced the goodness and stress reduction that comes from being in nature and outdoors, where I spend my time and energy doesn't always align with those truths. I still have to make a conscious effort to hit the pause button and get outside. I love the nature pyramid image because it gives me a freedom to not always think that to pull away means that I have to drive hours away or hike a 7,000 foot summit, embark on a multi-mile journey with my backpack or take two weeks off from work for a retreat into the wilderness. Start where you can and increase from there as time and space in your schedule allows. But whatever you do, please go outside. Discover a new trail, park, or place to bike. Go solo where it's safe to do so or take along your friends but by all means try to remove as many distractions so you can be fully present to get fully refreshed the benefits of nature therapy are real and seeking those experiences and opportunities is not selfish it's life-giving and you will thank yourself for it and the people around you will thank you for it and lastly let's address the issue of mental health like depression anxiety ptsd if you suffer from any of these please know that you are not alone and help is available the worst thing you can do is isolate yourself. I cannot encourage you enough to seek out people who can help you on your journey, someone you can open up to, and people who will encourage you and that you can do life with. Well, until we meet again, I encourage you to wander far, but explore local. Local.